Hello everyone, my name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Cam Keith, head coach and associate general manager with the Surrey Eagles. Cam is a coach who attacks the game from a number of different angles, and having gone through the ECHL and BCHL as a coach, he has great perspectives on the pro and junior game, all of which are on display in this interview. With that, here's Cam Keith, head coach and associate general manager with the Surrey Eagles. You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how Payday can come every day by entering their contests for huge cash prizes up for grabs. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to do. You draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means much more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports, and DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports so there's no better place to get in on all the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app today and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Cam Keith, head coach and associate general manager with the Surrey Eagles. Cam, thanks for joining the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you on. And I always love having guests uh, from the BCHL, just a little bit different area than than I'm used to kind of being around. So it's some different perspectives and kind of some different viewpoints. But let's start just by learning a little bit more about you. Maybe start to talk about your upbringing, uh, playing sports in your early years, and just give people a little more information on you personally. Yeah, I grew up in a small town uh, called Nelson. Uh, not about 10,000 people, so hockey was the, I think it was the second most popular sport in Nelson to soccer and uh, mountain biking. So there wasn't uh, a lot of comp- competitiveness for me at a, a young age. I, I was just fortunate enough to have a dad that kind of loved the hockey and pushed me to to play um outside of nelson and and try to stay with the sport um especially with how things are today with the academies and and kids kind of collecting good players collecting in areas back then it was a lot different you had a lot of good players coming out of small towns um so i was fortunate enough to to kind of gain enough ability to to move on to junior once i was i think i left when i was 16 i went to play junior b uh in a for an organization called the Nighthawks. nighthawks um i was the youngest kid on the team other than barrett jackman who i mean i don't know if you remember the name he was a defenseman for the blues really tough scary human being <laughs> uh but it was a, a good experience to get away from home and kind of grow up really quick for kids that uh, have to leave home at an early age. It, 
it can do two things. It can mature you really quick or it can put you off the sport. And I was fortunate enough to kind of have a couple other guys that looked after me and um, just kind of found a love through that through there. Uh, played a few years in, in, in Beaver Valley and we were about 15 minutes away from Trail who was at that time was a BCHL kind of closest call-up team. I, I played a few games with them and didn't really catch the coach's eye. Uh, played it in a, an all-star game. And, and at the time I was like 6'3", very raw. I don't think I was very good, but I could skate fast and I was 6'3". So back then, if you were big and you could skate, you had a lot of potential. <laughs> uh, so I won the fastest skating competition, I think, uh, in the all-star game or whatever it was and and signed right after with uh they're called the victoria salsa at the time actually um in, in victoria so i basically just just like that moved from from beaver valley to victoria to play um bchl when i was 17 i was i'm a december baby so it was uh you know you almost consider kids that are like late birthday type. So I guess I was, you could say I was 16 playing in the league, very raw fourth liner, barely played. We had uh, Martin Korea at the time, uh, Paul's younger brother, very, very skilled player. And then a couple Matt Pettinger who ended up going on to play in the NHL for the Capitals for a few years. Um, we had a very good team. Gary Davidson was a coach at the time who has been a long time GM, uh, well, former GM of, Everett, I think now he's with Calgary. So got a good introduction to the hockey world at a very young age. Um, still hadn't really found my game at all. It was <laughs> still 6'3", couldn't really play, but I could skate. So they just kind of kept me around. Uh, played that year, uh, went back to Victoria. Same thing in another lineup. Questioned whether I wanted to play. Almost quit a few times to go back home to play basketball. Uh, somehow, some way, just a couple lucky bounces with getting into the lineup and then some some way finding a, a way to, to create some offense. I scratched my way into a regular position enough to kind of finish the year in Victoria where I felt like hockey still could be a future. Um, but it wasn't, I was I hadn't talked to any schools yet. I was, the future didn't really look too bright from my standpoint. I didn't really think I was going to go too far with it. Um, and then I actually went into Victoria, my 18 year old year was traded before the season even started. My parents heard about the trade over the radio before I had even known that I had been traded. Uh, so that was a, a phone call that I got from my dad and he, he said, well, why didn't you tell me you got traded? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, it's, it's on the radio here. You've been traded a trail, which is for me at that time was not a great thing to go back home. And I was happy to be away. Victoria is a beautiful city on the ocean. And, you know, the trail is a great hockey town, but it's just very different. So anyways, uh, yeah, I went to trail. We had a very tough year that year, but I was able to kind of um, under those circumstances, get a lot of ice time opportunity and earn a scholarship to Alaska Fairbanks. So that's kind of my little hockey journey 
um, in BC and into into college hockey. Yeah, no, it's it's always interesting to hear that pathway. And like you said, when when kids kind of go away from um, you know from their hometowns and, and playing in these junior leagues, a lot of times it can go in two directions. But uh, for you, you're able to kind of keep it going and then eventually turn it into a, a scholarship opportunity. And uh, maybe just touching on that a little bit more, maybe explain or or break down your experience with that program. And then uh, maybe when you decide that you want to coach, uh, just talk about that transition or thought process around that time. Uh, yeah, so Alaska Fairbanks at the time was coached by Guy Gadowski, who is now in Penn State. And if you if you want to meet a, a guy that you're instantly going to respect and look up to, Guy Gadowski is a, is a person that is an amazing human being, just he is a perfect combination of um, respect, approachability. You're a little bit scared of, to disappoint him, but you love him at the same time. And he was, at the time, he was a young coach. He had a lot of energy. And Alaska Fairbanks was a, we were in the CCHA at the time, so it was a very competitive college conference with Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, like all the big schools, and we were, Alaska Fairbanks. So as you can imagine, those schools were out recruiting us by a lot. Um, so we were kind of like that underdog team, uh, traveling from Alaska to any road game was you had to leave on a Wednesday, uh, for a Friday game. Actually Tuesday night, we'd fly through the night. Um, there's always a four hour different time change when you get also get to, to Michigan or Ohio or wherever we were playing. So it was a very demanding, tough schedule. And for anyone that's played college hockey and has had to go into, into Michigan or um, Notre Dame, like those ranks are so tough to play in. At the time, Michigan had Mike Camilleri, Jeff Jilson, Michigan State had um, Ryan Miller, uh, Slater, like just countless NHL players. Uh, he you grew up really quick and you had to become hard. We had to be kind of that kind of blue collar style of program. And Guy Godowski was just like the perfect guy for it. Um, was fortunate in, in college that we had a team that he, they recruited, I think 13 freshmen at the time through my fresh or my recruiting class. And we had a couple of guys that were late bloomer types that found their games in college. And we ended up having a really good team. My sophomore year, we went, to, at, the, at the time, it was, uh, I think, top 12 made it instead of to the top 16 to the um, tournament. And we were ranked 12th. Long story short, we didn't make the tournament, but we were right there. So it kind of put us on the map. I was offered a, an NHL contract my sophomore year with the Rangers. And I declined it partially because I had a girlfriend, liked being in school. Uh, kind of probably tells you where my mindset was as far as playing hockey and and just enjoying the college life. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up signing with Toronto after my senior year in, in Alaska, which kind of led me to a very long, uh, not that successful, but long. So I guess you can consider that some type of success uh, pro career. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's again, definitely interesting. And 
you know, a lot of different things that you have to consider in the college game and, uh, you know, being in Alaska, like you said, the travel, the time zone difference and going in and playing these big programs in Michigan and Ohio and uh, a lot of things that you, you know, you kind of, like you said, you have to grow up very quickly just because there is so much uh, at stake in some of these games and things like that. But eventually following your career, you would eventually make your way into coaching and which you are today. But let's talk about your first role as an assistant coach with the Cincinnati Cyclones and uh, just talk about that first experience coaching in at the pro hockey level. That was fun. I mean, I came from playing pro over in Germany where it, hockey in, in over in Europe at some parts isn't overly professional. You're kind of playing in these outdoor arenas with uh, traveling in, you know, vans. And then I went into, got fortunate enough to be hired by Matt McDonald to be the assistant in Cincinnati, kind of as a guy that's just out of pro trying to find his way into coaching and I had a blast. Cincinnati's just a, just an awesome city, super undercover, fun city, lots of sport, sporting um, things to do there. Uh, the Cyclones play out of the U S bank arena, which is, you know, seats about 18,000. We would average around four to five big nights. There'd be 18. They have just, I can't remember what it was a throwback night where they had 18,000. So it was like, my first experience as a coach being kind of in a professional setting with with pro hockey players that it was very intimidating for me was fun. It was also scary at times where I never talked in front of guys and it's a completely different experience being a player, getting up in the room and saying a few things than standing with a with a pen and trying to coach or teach. And I didn't know what I was doing. I thought that playing would give me all the experience I needed, but it did nothing. I came in there and I did, it just looked like Chinese to me watching video or uh, I was super green. Uh, Matt was very patient with me and uh, was, we were fortunate that we were affiliated with uh, Nashville at the time with, and Milwaukee. So Dean Evanson was the coach in Milwaukee and he helped us a lot by giving us a lot of Nashville's information. We, so we kind of, you know, almost very similar because we were affiliates. So we kind of did the same systems that they did. So I learned a lot of the, the pro verbiage, what they're coaching at the next level. Um, so it, it was a really good way to learn hockey. Now teaching pro is a lot different than pe- teaching junior because pro guys kind of get it. You can kind of just talk in abbreviated slang words and they just kind of pick it up like that where, juniors you have to really get more a little more detailed so it was a good combination for me long long story short it was it was fun getting on the road uh i was still pretty young at the time i think in my early 30s so some of the guys were just a little bit younger than me so i was playing cards on the bus with the boys after big win having a couple beers on the bus with the boys on a sleeper bus yeah it was fun i was still pro but i didn't have to I didn't have to play. I just got to watch and enjoy that part. So immediately I just kind of fell in love with coaching and and the lifestyle of it and being on the other side of it, I found more fun than actually playing because as a player, I always felt disappointment that I wasn't good enough. You know, unless you play the NHL as a player, your, your career is a bit of a disappointment. So as a coach, it was completely new to 
to take enjoyment in other players' success rather than when I was in the American League, I was didn't want other players to have success because that meant they got ice time and that meant that they get called up before I did. It was you didn't like it, but that's kind of just a natural feeling that you have at the pro level. So no, it, it's uh, no, it's always interesting. Again, just that initial experience, uh, especially when you're coming from a playing career into a coaching career. And mm-hmm. uh, when I kind of seen your story uh, being a pro position to start off that, you know, not a lot of people make that kind of transition right away to the pro level, but, you know, having that relatability with your playing career and then, you know, being roughly the same age and, and again, having a lot of, you know, help from the higher levels and kind of passing the systems down and everything. It was a great opportunity for you to learn and, with that, you were able to kind of catch that coaching bug, as they call it, and and continue with it. And the next one I want to talk about, uh, the next position in your career, is your move to trail and uh, working as a GM and head coach. Maybe just talk about the experience of kind of going back to junior and a program that you previously played for and uh, just the entire experience. Yeah, my mindset when I, when I chained was I wanted to try to get into college hockey. I, I like the... I saw up the pro level, it was the turnover was ridiculous. It was almost like a real business cutthroat. Didn't even matter if you were a good coach, it was better. You were better off just kind of having connections. And I didn't like that. I wanted to coach and I wanted to have a program with stability. So when the job offer came up and trail, I went for it naturally because I played a trail. So I thought I had a good chance of getting it um that angle ended up working for me the problem with trail was that everyone was telling me not to take it they hadn't made the playoffs in seven years they hadn't made second round in i think 15 years Um, nobody wanted to play in trail when i took the job i instantly had five kids that told me they don't want to report they don't want to come back so i kind of went from this like really excited, happy. I'm, I'm going to prove myself. I'm getting into college hockey to like reality hit really quick is this is going to be a little really, really hard. And at the and the division in the BCHL that is, it's absolutely murder's role. Freddie Harbison and Penticton, Mark Ferner was in Verdon, Rowan Furster who had just run the Royal Bank Cup with West K, um, Salmon Arm, Troy Mick was the general manager and Brandon West was the coach and like and Merritt had Joe Martin, who was a very respected, uh, good recruiter. Merritt had really strong program. And then there was trail. So, like, just for me to make playoffs, I was – didn't look very bright <laughs> to say. And I didn't – and coming in, I honestly – I'd look at a player and I couldn't tell if they were good or bad. I had no idea. I pretended like everybody else looking at a kid and, you know, all oh, he can skate good and – but be the ability to to judge a player whether he was going to be good in a couple of years it doesn't come natural and so I was facing a lot of really tough challenges I, to be honest with you I was just really lucky that I had two I think two or three returning kids that end up being just ball players Kale Howarth end up getting drafted by Columbus in the fifth round six foot six just big lovable guy that you know played for me and then ross armor committed to bemidji six foot two local trail kid heart and soul kind of 
players. And then I had a couple older 20 year olds, Luke Santerno, who ended up going to Bentley, six foot two, just tough, could, could play both ways. And then, and then I had some heart and soul local kids that they all pulled for me. So we started out really slow. We were like two and seven, two and an eight. And yeah, so I was like, oh, here we go. Here goes my coaching career down the, you know, you're already, I was looked like every phone call, like it was like the phone call that I was going to get fired. Um, yeah. And we somehow, we just kind of slowly dug our way out of it and ended up, I think we ended up a few, or exactly 500 my first year. And we won the first round, made second round playoffs. So, and, and when I, so I remember the very first, uh, home opener, we had 350 fans and this rink, I don't know if you see trails rink, it's beautiful old school rink, but it probably seats 3000. If you pack everybody in there around the top rail and then for playoffs, we had, it was sold out. We had 3000 and, at, and then at that time, uh, Rich Murphy had just bought the team. He was, he was an American guy that had a kid on the team. So he, he flushed a bunch of money into the program. They built a brand new dressing room. So it was like perfect timing for me. I had, now I had uh, kind of like the, the fancy dressing room and weight room to kind of flash to the, the better kids to recruit. So then I started to think, okay, this is, this is possible. I can build something here in trail. And then that'll, you know, then college hockey programs will potentially look at me as like a guy that can build a program that is hard to recruit to. So yeah, the second year in trail, we had a, another really good year. Momentum was starting to carry. I recruited a young Kent Johnson um, at 15 before anyone really understood how good he was going to be. Very lucky. Actually, funny story on Kent. Um, when I went to watch him play, I had no idea who he was, but I had some help when I was in trail and there was a a local NHL scout, very well-known Glenn Sanders. He's with Nashville Predators. And like I explained to you before, I had no idea what I was looking at. Well, Glenn Sanders was telling me who was good. So I'd have these camps. I'd bring Glenn Sanders up into the booth, NHL scout. He'd bring out his, his piece of paper with the players on it. And once the game started, he wouldn't say a word. I wasn't allowed to talk to him. He would just watch. And then the period would end and then I'd rush over and be like, okay, like, what do you think? And he, so what he did is he just had check marks on these players. He didn't write notes, just check marks. And I'm like, so what do you, what, what, what are you doing? Like, how are you supposed to, what is, like, what does a check mark mean? How do you, how do I get a check mark? So what he's, how he explained it to me, what he does, it's like, he doesn't key on a player. He just watches the play. And if someone makes a good play that you think is a good play or a hit or whatever the case may be, like a good change, uh, game decision that's smart, just make a check mark by their name. And so I'm watching him do this. And, you know, most, so he said after about, after two periods, you look at the players have the most check marks and then you start to key on them. And that's how you find a player. You don't listen to who's good, whatever. Then that's how you find the players that you like. So I said, well, how many check marks does a good player get? He's like, well, you know, in a game, you're not really going to get that many. If a guy has about four or five, that's someone you should key on after two periods. 
So long story short, I'm watching Burnaby Winter Cup play in a showcase game in Pentec. And there's a bunch of scouts there. And this little skinny guy comes on the ice. It's Ken Johns. I have no idea who he is. Doesn't skate very well. He's super small. Looks like he could be the stick boy. At the end of the first period, at 13 check marks by Ken Johns' name. 13. And he can't even skate. He, like he was like a little stick boy. Like he was just kind of wobbling around like a bobblehead doll. By the end, I can't even tell you, by the end of the second period, it was like I quit putting check marks and I was like obsessed. I was like, this is the best hockey mind I think I've ever seen. Like he's ridiculous. So yeah, after the game, I went down and tried to talk to the kid. Wasn't allowed to talk to him. Told me he was going to another team. And I said, no, I got to go. I got to recruit this kid. So anyways, long story short, that's uh, how Ken Johnson ended up in trail. That's a great story. And obviously everybody knows uh, that turned out very well for the program. And and Kent is a, is a hell of a player now. Um, But again, there's so many things that you can learn. And and that was something you learn from a, a very, uh, you know, experienced scout and able to take that with you and, in, in more positions down the road. And the next one I want to talk about here is your season with Chilliwack and uh, maybe just talk about what you learned working as an assistant coach uh, with that program after your time in trail. Yeah, it was, it was bitter sweet for me because it was first time I've been fired in a job in trail um, bounced right to Chilliwack. They were uh, hosting the Royal bank cup and I had a good relationship with Brian Maloney through, we had played, against each other for a long time. And so I knew if I was going to be an assistant coach, this would be a good situation. He was going to be a first year head coach. So we kind of be somewhat co-coaches, I guess you could say. And it would take away the pressure of me being a coach. I'd just been fired. So it's still kind of emotional about the situation. It wasn't really ready to jump in and do it again quite yet. So it was perfect setting. Chilliwack just has a great program, great rink, professional setup. Uh, Brian recruited a really good team. Uh, we had Kevin Wall, who's in Penn State now. Um, anyways, there's uh, Ethan Bowen, a uh, really good 16-year-old who's committed to North Dakota. We had really good young team. And, you know, Brian was a first-year coach, so there was a lot of energy with Brian. And the program was, you know, kind of going, kind of restarting up. So it was really fun to be a part of that. And we just, we're this young team that wasn't supposed to do that great. And through all that positive emotion, we, I think we ended up winning the league in the regular season. It was just a great year. Everything was clicking well. Both coaches were very happy, low stress. Uh, It was just fun. It was, it was a really nice year just to kind of, get away from, you know, being in trail was, was good, but it was also, it was hard on me as well. I was uh, away from my, I have two kids that live in, the, in, in Columbus, Ohio. It was the first time being away from them. So that was really hard on me. And then the pressure of being a head coach is it's a 24 hour job. You, you, your phone is never not ringing or you're never get, not getting text messages. You're never really away from the job. So as an assistant coach, my phone just shut up. I didn't get any more phone calls or any more texts. So it was like finally able to kind of just breathe, but still be in the game. Um, yeah. So I really, really enjoyed it. It was 
the perfect kind of buffer for me. I didn't know if I was going to get another head coaching job. That was my goal was to kind of stay in Chilliwack, maybe become the head coach if Brian ended up uh, stepping down at some point or to see what else came available. And then after my first year in Chilliwack, uh, that's when uh, John Missouri came up. Yeah. And, you know, having that time to kind of, like you said, breathe and, and, and take a step back is always good, but definitely your goal was still to get back to the head coaching role. And soon enough that would come with Surrey as a head coach and associate GM. Uh, maybe just talk about that role, kind of how uh, that position came about and then maybe the responsibilities that are included in your current position. Yeah. Uh, Blaine Newfeld uh, is a general manager, uh, part owner of the Surrey Eagles. I had known Blaine for a few years coaching against him when he was the coach in, in Surrey. And the year that I was in Chilliwack, Surrey was, went through a few coaches. They had a really tough time. I think they only won seven games. And what better selling point than me, who had uh, done what I did in trail, to sell what I could do it in Surrey. And had a really good uh, meeting with, with Blaine and, and Chuck Westgard and the owner where I just went in kind of I handled the interview different than I normally would where I had done interviews before and I had got a rejected a lot of interviews where I went in there just kind of like trying to be really likable and worrying about if they liked me or not. And I didn't have that mindset. I went in there and just told them, told them how I wanted to run it. Not in a disrespectful way, but just like, this is my, this is, these are my standards this is the only way it's going to work for me to, to rebuild it. And without hesitation, Blaine and, and Chopper on board, they're two hockey guys. They get it. They were on the same page as me from the, the start and allowed me to, to have freedom in what I was doing without the constraints of, you know, worrying about what I was doing or having to justify what I was doing rather than just kind of talking about it where our, when I was in trail, I always had to, to justify things. So it was just a breath of fresh air, was able to build the team as I saw it, as, as, as I wanted to build a team on an Olympic ice, it's a completely different animal than building it on a small ice. You have to look for a different type of player. You, the role players don't work in an Olympic. You don't need a, a heavy fourth line. You need four lines that all can think and play. And you need D that can all can skate and make plays. The size doesn't matter. So I recruited a bunch of smaller players that could think the game well. And yeah, we had success. I mean, it was the same kind of thing. My first year in Surrey, we started out really slow and Blaine and Chuck were just awesome the whole way. They don't worry, Cam, it's okay. We're, you know, it's, you know, we're only game eight. We're only in game 10. I think we were eight and 16 at one point. Same thing. I had only signed a two-year deal and uh, deals in the, in the, in junior A aren't always that solid. We're thick and furry and find a way not to, you out so I was super nervous and they were just great I mean to have ownership and 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 someone these guys were just so good
good about it that I, I never, it never pushed me to get angry towards the kids and push them. I think that's the mistake that a lot of happens a lot in hockey is where ownership gets hard on the coach and then, and then that, you know, the old trickle down effect, kind of like a normal, a normal job. You, you get, someone gets mad at the boss and the boss gets mad at you. And it's not really like, you just need to be told not get someone to get mad at you. So I was able to be happy at the rink and happy with the boys. And I think that really helped um, my first year in Surrey. And we had, again, same as in, in, in trail, I had these two ball players, Hudson Shandor, who went to UConn and got rookie of the year there. And Christophe Tellier, this little French guy who was probably the second smartest player to Kent Johnson that I've seen play the game, who finished top 10 scoring last year for Chicago, uh, Muskegon. He's going to Quinnipiac, who I project to be one of the best college players in college hockey. Um, so the long story short, you have to have good support, but you also have to have players. You can't – coaching is, can only take you so far. You have to have some guys that are going to pull. And I, in my career, every, every team that I've had, I've been fortunate enough that I've had some horses that pulled for me. Yeah, no, for sure. You you got to have those players who are, you know, willing to, you know, you, you give them the tools, but the players really have to kind of make it happen. And, uh, you know, having players that are committed and, and you know, willing to, uh, you know, to put everything into the program is always key. And as many people know, this past year has been difficult on a lot of programs, a lot of players with COVID. So uh, just in your situation, obviously having a lot of control and BCHL being able to play some games, uh, just talk about the past year and, and just dealing with that COVID aspect uh, from your perspective. Yeah, it was a, it was a weird journey because the hockey itself wasn't too bad. I mean, we had, we had 25 kids. Sometimes it fluctuated with whatever was happening. But I mean, for the most part, we had a pretty large group and we had the luxury. We had two hours of ice every day with an, a nice clean after the first hour. So I was able to do a lot of fun things with, with that time. So the practices and I had a really good group of kids that were smart and loved to, to play against each other and see each other every day. So the hockey part was okay. It was good. It was good. But the toughest part was just like the constant, okay, you know, there's an announcement coming up and then disappointment and then, okay, now two weeks, uh, and I was basically, all I was doing was reiterating what they would say on the TV. So, you know how, you know how you can watch the people on the TV and they're giving you this and you can tell they almost don't believe it. Well, I get this information that I got to tell the kids and the kids can tell that I don't really believe that anything's going to change. So it was tough. You're always disappointing them right because it never happened and so by towards the end it it was extremely difficult to be optimistic about us playing and weird I was very fortunate that I had some really good kids in the locker room that just kind of kept almost kept me more positive about it like it's all good we're having fun we're getting better uh, I had a couple of kid, 20 year olds that got scollies from not even playing games. Uh, Kieran O'Hearn scholarship to Yale and Tommy Scarfoni is a goalie, which is insane. Scholarship to RIT without even playing games this year. 
which is huge for IT though, because he's, he's going to be really, really good. Um, but it's tough. It's really tough uh, for kids to, to, to get looked at when they're not playing games and schools need to see you play. And yeah. the video doesn't really justify, they like, they want to come see you in person. So it was, it was tough. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it and put too much of a positive spin on it because um, it was very difficult for for them. And I I can't really say how hard it was for their mental health because who knows? I get these boys, as much as you try to drag stuff out of them, they won't really tell you the full truth. They always want to be strong and tell you that they're okay. So... But, you know, there were times where I would worry and I, some kids would quit trying and it wasn't in their character to stop trying. And then I would talk to them about it and, it, you know, I'm okay. I'm just, you know, a little depressed or about whatever, but you wouldn't really get the full story. So then you'd worry about um, how they're doing. It was, it was a long year, but also fun. It was a great experience for a coach to kind of, I had to create new drills. I had to find fun ways to do practices. Um, normally you're only practicing three, four times a week and, you know, and you're going over game situational stuff. Well, I had to do all skill development and find new ways to, to do new twists on it and try new things. So um, I'd like to say I took advantage of that for the most part. So that part was a positive. Yeah, at least there was some positive, but definitely a, a tough situation for a lot of people to deal with. And, uh, you know, going into a few more questions here before we go into the reflective questions. Uh, you've been in the BCHL now for a couple of years and obviously have played in a couple of different programs as well. Uh, just talk about the league and the support from the fan base and maybe specifically the hockey community in Surrey that you've seen as of late. Um, the BCHL is a great league. It's a, a league that has a lot of diverse situational teams. Like where, you know, you have these, your big programs, Wenatchee, Penticton, Vernon, where these your bright light, Chilliwack, bright lights. And then you have these smaller historical programs like the Surrey Eagles, Trail Smoke Eaters, Merritt Centennials, Prince George, Bruce Kings. So you get a little bit of everything. You get this small town, heart and soul, you know, Alberti Valley. Everyone's got to rally around the team just to kind of keep them alive to the bigger kind of flashier, you know, I call them the evil empire, Penticton V's. Uh, as far as fan support, I'm not, I mean, we've always had good fan support. I'm hoping that through this whole situation that, People are excited to get back out and see what the BCHL has to offer as far as, you know, I think our, our league did a really good job. Our owner, or sorry, our coaches and GMs of recruiting really good young players in the league next year. I think you're going to see a lot of excitement that way as far as some kids being in that NHL discussion. Um uh, it's just a good league. It really is. And I mean, if, if a kid wants to get a, schol uh, a scholarship in, in Canada, this is the best, best league to go to. It's offensive. Um, travel's easy and it's fun to, to play in. There's 
beautiful scenery pretty much i mean for for us in surrey we we play on a uh in a beautiful rink that is an hour away from every team in our division and now they're joining the divisions and on the island it's 45 minutes for us to get on a ferry and get over there and be on the island when you're playing games so it, it's it's a really good league uh and a fun league to be a part of that way Definitely. A lot of people obviously uh, have, have been tuning into the BCHL. Like you said, players like Ken Johnson and, and many before him and, and many today uh, being successful all the way up to the NHL level. And moving into another question here, I guess, just with your playing career uh, and everything that you've gone through in that regard, how often or how maybe beneficial do you find that your playing career is to your coaching career? And then in addition to that, how often do you find yourself connecting with former coaches to ask questions and, and gain advice? That's that's a tough question. It really is because some of the coaches that I most respect are, are guys that didn't really play. I think you just have to love the game. I think maybe in some scenarios, uh, I can speak to these players from experience as far as like my career path and what not to do. <laughs> but it's playing... I don't know. I, I don't, I think if you understand the game, it's more important that than you played it because telling someone because you did it is the way to do it. Isn't the right way to teach. I, when I teach, I, I use examples of good players that play in the NHL. I'm, I'm not going to give them an example of how I played to my mediocre, you know, a couple of years in the American league kind of career where I didn't, you know, I didn't really make it. And I respect players in the NHL that are doing it at the highest level. And that's what these kids want to do. So I, it definitely opens a few more doors in the way as like you just alluded to, like I have some, some guys that I played with that that coach at, at higher levels. Um, and so I'm able to kind of call them in the summer and pick their brains some of them are coaching the American league. So it's, it's good that way I can get some kind of like what's being said at the, the highest, the highest levels. Usually that's where the trends start before they trickle down into junior. So that's an advantage in a way, but I honestly think that your playing career is probably the most overrated thing about coaching because teaching and respectability from players is all about how you treat them and giving them the proper information and not telling them about how it was or how I would do it. I guess I can kind of see the game in a certain way because I did play. And when people talk about hockey sense and IQ, like that's a really tough thing to, for someone to actually say whether it's good or not, because it's, based off of their opinion, what they think is a good play or not. And so when I look at players, I'm viewing their eye hockey sense off what I think plays that they should make. And someone else will be like, no, you know, that's not a good play or, or someone will say he's got good hockey sense. And I'll say, but no, uh, I'll have a different opinion because I think they should make a different play. Now hockey's a, that's the beauty of hockey. There's never a, really a right or wrong way to play it. You can play it multiple different ways. You can be successful on multiple different ways, but 
for, for players to fit my program, they have to play, they have to think a certain way. So I recruit all kids that think the same way, the way that I would think. I was a passer. I couldn't shoot the puck at a muffin gun, as the boys call it. I scored 20 in the coast my last year in, well, in semi-pro hockey. And it was like 19 of the 20 where my foot was in the blue paint because I had to go there to score because I, I couldn't shoot the puck. So I was a passer or unless I was going for rebounds. So I always had to look to see plays and I hated it when players wouldn't give it back or they wouldn't pass to me. They're, they're more shooters. So I recruit all kids that played like me passers pass first kids unselfish. And the, the, what I've found throughout my coaching career is if you can watch a kid play, you can figure out his character by just watching his style. Like if he is a passer, what does that tell you about a kid? Tells you that he wants his buddy to score a goal. He's he cares more about his friend getting a point than himself. So that's how I build teams. And I never ever call ex coaches. I built the entire Surrey Eagles off watching video. I didn't see one kid play live because you can see those things. It's, it's, it's the beautiful thing about hockey is it's all out there. The kids, they, they, if you really watch them, their full character is on display every night for you. If you know what you're looking for. Yeah, that's such a great point. And, and like you said, there's so many things that you can see just from watching them that they show their emotions. Uh, a lot of times when they go back to the bench after a shift, you can get a lot of that information from their interactions with players and coaches. And mm-hmm. um, these are all different kinds of things that you can learn throughout the game. And sometimes you learn from experiencing it, but sometimes you can get it from resources as well. And sometimes it's books, articles, podcasts, all these different presentations, uh, different things that you can learn from. So for you, um, what are some of your resources that you look to and, and maybe uh, something that you can recommend to others who might be interested in pursuing something? I watch, for me, as far as like evaluating kids, I just watch every little bit of video I can. Any kind of opportunity I have to watch hockey and evaluate. And then I, I mark players down and watch them progress, track their progression. And then I'll go back and watch the same video like a year later, just to kind of see what exactly it was that I saw in him or might not have saw. I feel like that's a really good way to learn. If you, if you're learning how to build a team is you just got to watch. I mean, there's no, no one that I don't believe anyone naturally just could see a player. And everyone thinks they can, everyone tells you how good a player is, (laughs) But most of the time, they don't really know. They're just, they tell you because they like the way he skates or whatever the case may be. Um, As far as teaching, I read a lot of Phil Jackson, any Phil Jackson books I can get my hand on because he was a a compassionate coach. Coach K also, I feel that coaching is really about a, a relationship, not about giving them information to succeed i mean you do need to do that as well but information isn't what's going to make them good hockey players being being really strong a really strong person and be able to be resilient and and face adversity 
the best is the, the kids that are going to do the best on the ice. So if you could be a mentor, uh, or I, a friend and that's where like Phil Jackson style of coaching, you know, the whole Zen mastery of, of just compassion and love. I would, that's what I would focus on for young coaches. Don't focus on, you know, giving them a million different, uh, you know, playbooks and face-off plays and all that kind of stuff. Like that's overrated. Everyone's doing the same stuff now. Like learn how to learn how to be a mentor and someone that they can come in and talk to and they, and that's it. Someone they feel like they can come in and talk to and you don't have to like be their like buddy, buddy, jokey kind of thing. Just someone they can talk to and they respect. Learn how to do that. And that's by learning from the, the coaches that coach with compassion, I feel is the best way. Yeah. Some great uh, resources there and, and a great lesson as well. And uh, you talking about being a mentor for, for players and, and just being able to, you know, have a conversation about different topics, but for you in, in your career to date, uh, both as a player and as a coach, who are some of those people that you've kind of leaned on, maybe your mentors and just people who have helped you in your career thus far? Um, well, I looked up to Guy Godowski. He was kind of the guy that I tried to model myself from as far as how he coached, how he approached the game, how he approached his relationship-based coaching. Um, Tavis McMillan he's, is an assistant with Denver, been a scout and for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, as far as hockey goes, he's been a huge mentor for me and kind of helping me when I need help. Uh, just being someone that I can can talk to. Um, and then Tyler Coots, who is uh, I coached against in the league, and he's just a better coach than I am. He understands the game better. Uh, he's a he's a true coach. He he goes home and designs, you know, practice plans where that's not my bread and butter. My bread and butter, I like evaluating players better. So Tyler is more like uh, he's a mad scientist and he gets enjoyment out of creating drills that make kids better and that they love. And when you love something like that, like which Tyler does, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for him, you become a very, very good coach very fast. So anytime that I can talk to him or work with him is an absolute pleasure. Yeah, all great people there. And it just goes to show that in hockey, you know, there's so many people that you can lean on. It could be uh, former coaches, people you respect, or even people that you coached against. And, um, you know, I know people, like you said, that mad scientist or um, those type of coaches are out there and in very different mindsets. But it's always great to, to learn from each and every one of them. Um, as a final question for you, as we close the podcast here, you know, being in a position now, uh, management, coaching, all these different experiences that you've had leading into this position, uh, for anyone who's maybe looking to get into the game themselves, what's one final piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they would be successful? You have to kind of have uh, an open mind to everything that comes at you information-wise. Don't feel like you have to come into the game knowing everything because you don't. If I had a younger version of myself, I'd come in and just don't feel like you have to prove yourself and your knowledge. Just be humble. 
and ask a ton of questions and try to learn as fast as you can, rather than trying to prove that you understand or that you know everything, you know, like that's was my biggest mistake going in is that I was afraid to, to show people the lack of knowledge that I had, even though I didn't know how, what that was, but I kind of held up a wall and I didn't learn as fast as I should have. And I didn't use resources because I was afraid for, to ask questions and you can't, if you want to survive, you just have to be humble and ask the people that you respect. Uh, or even if you're not good, have a good relationship with everyone likes to talk and toot their own horn and tell you how, you know, what they think. And you don't have to take everything in, but just call a lot of people. And I still am guilty of that. I still don't call enough people and ask enough questions. It's not so much now that I am worried that they don't think I'm a good coach or whatever. I just, I get caught up in my own kind of stuff of, I like to evaluate players and uh, that's using my focus, focus point, but yeah, be super humble, ask a ton of questions and ask kids questions. The best, some of the best stuff I've learned is from kids watching them play. And, and when you ask them questions, instead of trying to tell them, uh, what, you know, you're just going to learn more and you're going to learn more about the kid and they'll surprise you about how smart they are. I think they almost like, yes, man, us to a point where they're like, this guy's, this guy's an idiot. He's just telling me what I already know because he's like too stubborn to like ask a question or find out how much I know. And these kids these days with all the information they're getting, they're so smart, but it's fun. That's the fun part is gaining information from wherever you can. That's my biggest advice. Yeah. Great advice. And, and, you know, players are really, uh, becoming higher in that capability of, of their knowledge and, and being able to teach coaches as well. And I think it is uh, good for the game and hopefully it continues moving forward. But with that, Cam, I just want to thank you again for joining me on the podcast. Um, you know, we never knew each other before the interview, so it's always interesting to, to meet someone else in the game and learn from your experiences. And uh, again, I just appreciate you taking some time and hopefully things continue to go well for you in Surrey. And I wish you all the best moving forward. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It was a pleasure talking to you. And yeah, anytime. All right. Take care. One thing that fans within the game, hockey minds, and players can agree upon is that when done responsibly, there's nothing better at the end of the day than a cold beer that you enjoy for both its taste and its aroma. And this segment of the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Kitty Vitty Brewery. You can visit their tap room now open seven days a week and their new retail location in St. John's, Newfoundland at 16 Harborview Avenue. If you're one of those people who are maybe looking for some more entertainment, somewhere to sit with friends, you can definitely check out their original location in Kitty Vitty, Newfoundland. Join the Kitty Vitty Craft Club at kittyvittybrewery.ca and give them a follow on social media to keep up to date on the latest brew news. If you're not from Newfoundland and not from the East Coast and you want to get involved, Definitely follow them on social media and learn more about their beer, which is great for a casual beer drinking fan and also the beer enthusiasts. And stay tuned because who knows, maybe they'll find their way to get their beer to a location near you. Check out Kitty Vitty Brewery today for more information on their beer, clothing, and all things Kitty Vitty Brewery. I'd 
I'd like to thank Cam for joining me on the podcast and talking about his career in the game. I did not know Cam before the conversation, but I could tell that he connects very well with his players, and we should continue to see his teams elevate moving forward as a result. If you would like to get in touch with Cam to learn more about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact Podcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Kevin Higo, Hockey Operations with the Lethbridge Hurricanes AAA program. An experienced coach at the CHL level, Kevin brings a lot of knowledge to the table, so be sure to tune in for that episode, episode 99, on Wednesday. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for continually listening to the podcast, and be sure to check out our social media platforms as well as our website for more content moving forward. As always, stay safe, and all the best. Yeah.